80% of trauma fatalities are due to uncontrolled hemorrhage from an extremity. To help, OHSU is partnering with the Stop the Bleed Coalition, along with state and local agencies, to teach hands-on classes in tourniquet application, applying direct pressure, and packing an injury using gauze. It's Tuesday, April 3rd, and this is OHSU Week. I'm Patrick Holmes. Josh Anderson sat down with Dr. Martin Schreiber and Lynn Estes to discuss the Stop the Bleed campaign. I'm here today with Dr. Schreiber and Lynn Estes. Thank you for joining me today. Our pleasure. Let's start by explaining your roles at OHSU. Dr. Schreiber, we'll start with you. Uh, my name is Marty Schreiber. I'm the Chief of Trauma, Critical Care, and Acute Care Surgery, uh, the division at OHSU, and uh, the Chief of the, of the Trauma Department here at uh, OHSU. And then? I'm the Trauma Program Manager here at OHSU, and I'm also a nurse practitioner. So my job is to coordinate all the activities associated with the Trauma Program, which is a Level 1 Trauma Center. And Dr. Schreiber, what is Stop the Bleed? Um, what is that campaign, and how did OHSU get involved? So Stop the Bleed, I'm very excited to talk about this today. It's, a, it's actually a national uh, campaign, which is rapidly becoming an international campaign. Uh, it was started with the Hartford Con- Consensus Conference, which took place after the uh, Boston Marathon event. And what we found uh, back when that occurred was that we had numerous casualties, and the population in general uh, was not informed on how to stop bleeding in these patients. And we believe that uh, a lot of these patients suffered unnecessarily because of that, that knowledge barrier. So the Hartford Consensus Conference was a meeting of national experts, trauma surgeons, uh, and other uh, related healthcare personnel who got together and said, look, we need to do something about this. This has to stop. It turns out that trauma is leading cause of death in young people. Uh, the number one cause of death is, is preventable causes of death are stopping bleeding. And this needs to happen very close to the injury. And in general, when there's a bleeding person after an event, it's just citizens who are initially available to care for them. So the goal of the campaign is to educate every, basically every human being in the country uh, with the basic concepts of stopping bleeding. We think about this a lot like we think about CPR. It's sort of uh, very common. Everybody, you know, if uh, somebody suddenly becomes unconscious and they don't have a pulse, a large portion of our population would know what to do. They'd start administering CPR and, you know, save a lot of lives that way. But what we haven't done is the same thing for bleeding. And this, again, is a major cause of death in young people. It's frequently preventable. And we want every single human being ultimately walking the planet to have basic knowledge on how to stop bleeding and save lives. How do you get to every single person on the planet being able to do this? You mentioned with CPR, it is a lot more common that people are CPR certified. How do you think we get to that step? So we started with the Hartford Consensus Conference, and then we had several organizations that backed this effort. And so you have these organizations, and then what you do is you create a course, like a CPR course, a Stop the Bleed course, and then you, you train the trainers. So, for instance, you know, at OHSU, our first courses were here at OHSU, and we're training medical personnel. Once you've trained one person, that person becomes an instructor. And that person can instruct numerous other people. And before you know it, you're exponentially spreading this process out, spreading out these courses. So we had everybody in the region, all of our state chairs within the region, then started to create courses. And before you know it, you're training trainers, and the trainers are training population, and you have this exponential spread 
of knowledge to essentially everyone on the street. And that's, how you, and that's really how you do it. So this is occurring in all the regions of the United States. And, you know, suddenly people in other countries are like, well, hey, we need to do this too. So it's really, really spreading rapidly internationally. And from the OHSU perspective, we're just doing it one class at a time. We um, started our classes in July of 2017, and we've had about 30, 31 classes so far. We advertise on social media, and we're just doing it one person at a time. We also took a plan to the Oregon Health Authority and uh, recommended that the state roll it out in our area trauma advisory boards, which are our regional trauma groups. And so the state took it um, and they have created models for teaching the packing and the tourniquet application and they are spreading it throughout the state as well. So there's been courses in Medford, there have been courses in uh, at the coast all over the place. So just uh, slowly but surely we're getting the word out. One thing I wanted to point out with Dr. Schreiber is that um, to be an instructor you need to be an EMT, a paramedic, uh, a nurse, a doctor, a DO, um, a uh, nurse practitioner or PA. So the general public is not encouraged to teach it. But getting that knowledge out to the general public um, and anybody can participate, just not everybody can be a trainer. Right. And then um, a couple other important points that uh, I think we should make as well is that we're also targeting this at our at our legislators, both at the state and, and federal level. So we took a, a Stop the Bleed course to Salem to educate some of our legislators, and uh, the same thing's happening at the federal level. It, it has no face in terms of Republican versus Democratic uh, Party. So this is the kind of thing that everyone can get behind, regardless of your party affiliation. Everyone agrees we need to save lives. So it's very compelling when you get the legislators involved. One other point that I think we should make as well is that our goal ultimately is that everywhere you see a, a CPR kit, you know, you go, you commonly, as you walk the streets, you go to public areas, hospitals, uh, the airport, you'll see these AEDs, these uh, external defibrillators that are designed for people with cardiac arrest. We want to put a stop the bleed kit next to every single one of those. That's the level that we want this to be visible. In the Denver airport, they have actually put stop the bleeding kits inside of all the AEDs. And they have then a uh, placard on the front of the AED that says bleeding control kit inside. And actually, that's what we're going to do at OHSU. For about $114, we can put four tourniquets, four um, dressings, four sets of gloves, a marking pen and scissors uh, in each of the AEDs. And so that's our upcoming goal. I think the one thing that comes up when you talk about this is, uh, well, why are these patients bleeding? And uh, we, you know, we obviously worry about the mass casualty events, the, the, the shooter types of events and those kinds of things. And those are problems with our society, uh, which is the sort of the negative side of this. It's unfortunate that we have to deal with this. But what everybody needs to remember is it's not only those types of events that results in bleeding. It's everything. Here in the Northwest, we're at risk for earthquakes, uh, major, major disasters. Uh, these types of things cause life-threatening bleeding. And if it happens on that type of level, an earthquake in which there's just thousands or you know, tens of thousands of casualties, everyone's going to have to know how to stop bleeding. Bleeding is just an everyday event that we see. You know, multiple people in a city the size of Portland, it's happening in multiple people on a daily event. So students, we're teaching children. We're teaching young children. 
the same techniques we're teaching the adults, we're teaching everybody who can help with this event because in a mass situation, everybody's going to ha- become important. Everyone who's not injured is going to become important. Maybe you, and also you can treat yourself and then treat others as well. Mm-hmm. Well, because anybody ends up being a first responder. You arrive first, you're the first person there to offer assistance. Exactly. We've, we've actually had a patient that um, was injured and had a near amputation of the leg, and a war veteran was happened to be driving by and was a bystander, happened to have a tourniquet in his glove compartment, and literally saved her life. So there's really sort of there's two aspects to this. One aspect is just the knowledge. So what do you do if somebody's bleeding? And the other is the equipment. And those are the things that we think need to be available for these people. And these are, you know, the equipment is not, you know, a shirt is a shirt. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, you know, one thing that's very effective is just plain gauze dressings. It costs less than a dollar. Gauze has been around for thousands of years, and it's incredibly effective, and it's going to stop bleeding. You, know, you get into the more advanced things like tourniquets and what we call hemostatic dressings, is special gauze that's impregnated with chemicals that accelerate hemorrhage control, those things still are not that expensive. So, you know, expenses, of course, is a, is a concern, but these types of things are not expensive. But something maybe to add to an earthquake kit and to have one in your car and to have these things with you. Absolutely. I think it's really important to have them in your backpack when you're hiking. Um, there have been situations where people have been injured by a mountain goat, that type of thing, and a tourniquet would have been very useful in that situation. So I carry one in my backpack. You say that OHSU is involved, but we're all obviously going farther than just our campus and our facilities. Can you can you talk about an event like something that happened this weekend? Yeah, this weekend was National Stop the Bleed Day. It was on Saturday. And so we partnered with Legacy Emanuel, who's just getting their program rolled out, as well as Portland Fire to put on an event down at Fire Station 1. And the importance of this was that it was the kickoff for Portland Fire, who is going to roll this out to um, Portland Public Schools. They've been invited to go into the schools and train all of the personnel. And so that's a big step forward. We're going to partner with Portland Fire to try to get um, the mayor's office trained. That's our, our next goal, is to get all those people trained. So uh, the collaboration, we're trying very hard to collaborate across the state with individuals to roll this out. Salem has done some work. There's a lot of enthusiasm from the NET, the Neighborhood Emergency Teams, and the CERT teams uh, in, in Washington County. And those folks are rolling it out uh, quite a lot. And so that's our goal is to have other people carrying the ball as well. Yeah, so, so fire department, I think, is really important uh, as the you know, the, the sort of what we think classically as a first responders, you know, medics, police officers. When you start training these different elements of the society and then you get out to the public and, then, and the firemen and the police then start, you know, getting involved in spreading this information throughout the public and get the neighborhood, uh, the neighborhoods involved, before you know it, everyone is going to hear of this campaign and everybody's going to want to get involved. And what we found as we t- teach these courses, people are excited. You know, they, they want to be able to do something. You know, they, everybody feels kind of helpless. We all know that we're seeing more and more of these mass casualty events, shooter events in the schools. People want to feel like they can do something about it. And this is something that they can do. They want to, they, they're excited about saving lives. And I'm certain that, you know, pretty much anybody out there is going to be successful with these techniques. They're very simple. We're not asking people to do anything advanced. Uh, putting pressure on a wound uh, adequately packing a wound. There's some 
there's some subtleties to it that are important, but they're very, very simple concepts. Placing a tourniquet. Anybody can place a tourniquet. Has some of that changed a little bit? I remember hearing, you know, tourniquets and there's bleeding. Make sure you get somebody who is um, a professional uh, to help with that. So has the, the, the idea changed on that a little bit? Tremendously. And I'll tell you exactly why. What happened was, uh, for instance, when I went to medical school way back in the 80s, uh, and when I did my residency, we were trained that, that tourniquets were harmful. They could actually cause uh, amputations and injuries to the muscle called compartment syndrome. But what happened was when the wars broke out in Iraq and Afghanistan, these tourniquets started to be broadly used. And what was found when it was looked at scientifically was that there were no injuries associated with this. There was no increased amputation rate. We weren't seeing compartment syndrome. What we were seeing was saved lives. And what we realize is that they're very safe, they're very effective, and it's perfectly safe for anybody out there to be using them. Do you have an idea of how many hemorrhage victims um, OHSU treats each year? So we, uh, we treat about 3,000 trauma victims a year. The majority of them have had injuries. So of the 3,000, I'd say uh, bleeding is an issue in about 20%. So somewhere around six or 700 of those patients have serious bleeding. And then how can somebody stop the bleed? Well, the actual technique are ABC, alert 911. So we recommend that people point to a particular individual and say, you call 911 rather than shouting it out to just a whole bunch of people. Then B is bleeding. You identify the bleeding site. And sometimes it's a little subtle. If it's spurting out, it's very obvious, but if it's slower, oozing it's not quite as as obvious and then c is compress and so they would uh, try direct pressure to the wound at first and if that doesn't work um, then they might be required to have a tourniquet if they have it if they don't have a tourniquet available then we teach them wound packing which is you actually pack gauze down deep down in the wound at the wound bed where it's bleeding most and um, continue packing until all the area is filled and then you put all your weight uh, on two hands and all of your weight to push down and hold pressure. It takes a significant amount of pressure actually to stop the bleeding more than you would ever imagine. Sometimes you need to put, if you're a lightweight person, maybe even put your knee on the, on the wound to hold pressure, but it takes quite a bit of pressure. So that's the ABCs of bleeding control. It's a little bit different than you see in the movies. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll wrap a t-shirt and you know, hold it for a couple of seconds and then they're off to their next thing. I was a little bit more involved in that. That's one of the things that the Boston Marathon really highlighted was that those types of techniques do not work. Tourniquets that uh, you know, people make on their own, unless they're very sophisticated, don't work. So these techniques, you know, they may be very painful to the person. So if you're putting your, if you manage your, if you're putting your entire weight compressing a wound, you know, that hurts. But it doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. Uh, placing a tourniquet, if you tighten it to the point where you stop arterial blood flow, uh, if, it's, if that's what's required to stop the bleeding, that hurts. But it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. One, another thing that I think is important is that the wounds that are the most amenable to uh, stopping bleeding are mostly in the extremities, the arms and legs, the external wounds. But anything in the chest or, tor- or you know, abdomen, that needs to get to the hospital. And, and what makes excessive bleeding out of a wound or hemorrhage so dangerous? Well, you die. So that's how you die. So really, uh, and, you, and if it's an arterial injury, you die fast. So this intervention occurring very early is absolutely critical. Basically, let's say you've got somebody who's in the street, they're bleeding. You know, it's going to take 10 minutes, 15 minutes for, for a fire person to get there. You can literally bleed to death in that time frame. 
So that's why this is so absolutely critical, because we've completely changed our viewpoint here. What we're saying is the common man, woman, child is the first responder, not the fire person. That's the neat thing about Stop the Bleed. The curriculum itself is focused on middle school um, level. We actually taught a six-year-old in the class last Saturday. I don't know without prompting if he could actually put a tourniquet on, but he did demonstrate a tourniquet placement and wound packing with the direction of his parent. So it applies to a very um, young age group. So it's not very technically difficult. Well, a great life skill. Right, right. Right. It's a really, it's a different mindset. It's a, it's an active mindset as sort of, as opposed to a passive mindset. So the passive mindset is you see the bleeding person in the street, you make a phone call, 911, you stand and wait until the fire person comes and then you walk away after that. This is an active situation. This is, you get right next to that person and you find out what's bleeding and you stop the bleeding as you wait for the fire person to come. It's really a different way to think about it. In the Boston Marathon bombings, there was a large number of people I guess, more or less wandering around, not having a particular job. And this would give them a focus and and a specific job to do. So where can people go to find out more information and and find some resources on this? They can go to www.bleedingcontrol.org. And on there, they have a list of all the classes in the entire country. And there's a large number of brochures and booklets and handouts that, that people can access to get information. They can also, uh, their, uh, the kits, there's, uh, preformed kits that are sold by the American College of Surgeons uh, that contain all the devices, but they don't need to you know, necessarily buy one of these special kits. So you really need four things. And you can buy that in a preformed kit, which you can see on bleedingcontrol.org, or you can go on, on the internet and just buy uh, individual pieces of it. Or four things that people need is a, is a, is a, a real tourniquet, and most of them come uh, from the military setting. They need gauze, which costs less than a dollar. They need some gloves. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about, which I think is important, is you really need to protect yourself as well. Uh, and so, you know, that comes in sort of two flavors. One is that, you know, we may, we may be talking about some dangerous situations. Again, if there's an active shooter or some other earthquake, uh, you want your, you as you're giving care and your patient to be in a safe environment. However, you can get that person to a safe environment, whatever the situation is. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is that, you know, blood contains infectious diseases. So it's important to wear gloves. So that would be another component of a, 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 if you want to make your own home kit, tourniquet, gauze, gloves. And then if you're going to place a tourniquet, uh, the tourniquets have a little label where you can put what time it was placed. It's important for the people providing definitive care to know how long the tourniquet is on. One note about the tourniquets is there's a lot of knockoff tourniquets now available on Amazon. And so in general, I've bought quite a few tourniquets and I can have rarely, I've never found one for less than $28, a good quality one. We recommend the CAT, C-A-T, combat application tourniquet. And then you can just put the whole thing, gauze and gloves and marker in a Ziploc bag and put it in your glove compartment. And it really doesn't cost a great deal. So anybody can afford to do this. Anybody can afford to have these things with them so they can help out. Right. So it's a couple of bucks to save a life. And what if I wanted to get my neighborhood emergency team involved? Does that still go to that same website, or um, do we contact our lower local fire departments? Or you can contact OHSU Trauma Program. Really, we are helping to coordinate those. We've done a lot of them, but we're now starting to, for instance, out in the Washington County area, Tualatin Valley Fire and Rescue has been trained, and they're going to start helping with a lot of those. But 
we're more than happy to help coordinate. Well, thank you both for joining me today and sharing the Stop the Bleed information. I think that's very important, and I, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad we had the opportunity to discuss this today, and I look forward to uh, the future uh, and a lot more involvement from our community in this process. OHSU Week is a production of Strategic Communications. This episode was produced and edited by Josh Anderson. I'm Patrick Holmes. See you next week.